Welcome to this week's episode of the Thinking Big Podcast. Today, I welcome my friend and America's number one money mentor, Chris Noggle, to the show. Chris empowers entrepreneurs and business owners with the knowledge of how money actually works. Chris is driven to deliver financial knowledge that actually fuels lasting freedom, and to date, he has spoken to and taught over 10,000 Americans. His success includes managing over $30 million in assets in the financial services and advisory industry and tens of million dollars in the real estate business. He's even had a pilot show on HGTV in 2014, and he is the author of two fantastic books, one of which is Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery, which is a great, great book. So today, my biggest takeaways from the episode are how to become your own bank and have money actually start working for you and the lies and misinformation that we have been told about how money actually works. I also get the approval to get a money gun. So today we are thinking big on money and how to use it. Welcome to the Thinking Big Podcast with Sean Osborne, the show helping you think bigger into your life and potential. Sean believes by equipping you with the tools, strategies, and philosophies required to be successful in all aspects of your life, you can achieve anything you believe in. Empowering our own growth makes a deeply positive and lasting impact on our lives, community, and our world. Now, here's Sean. Well, everyone, I want to welcome uh, Chris Noggle to the podcast. He is the number one money mentor. And before we get too much into what you do, me and my wife have had a disagreement for the last, I'd say, six to eight months that I'm hoping you can help with. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you can go. Okay. I want to go buy a money gun. You know, just load up money in there and just shoot that shit everywhere. I want a money gun. She thinks that's not a wise investment of my money. What do you, a money gun, you cannot she, go wrong with think, a money gun. Huh? Oh, oh my gosh. She doesn't think a money gun's a good investment? Here, <laughs> See? I'm going to prove that it is. Hang on one second. All right. I did. I wasn't prepared for this, but let me just show you how important a money gun is. There we go. See? There you go, See? man. That- <laughs> <laughs> that, you gotta have a money gun so when she um, watches this recording and sees that man oh man it might just look like a bunch of things going at the camera but those are hundreds so i am i am going to get a money gun that's that's <laughs> the first thing i'm gonna do after this episode come see i knew it i knew it i knew it i knew it gotta have uh, it now yeah oh god See, uh, Snoop made it look so damn good that I just have to get one. So there, there we go. That, that's that's a no-brainer now. Now, getting into – so my audience, you know, a lot of my audience is uh, young entrepreneurs, uh, people who are you know, new into their career – new into uh, possibly doing a side hustle, new into trying to get – have their money start working for them instead of them working for their money. And that's where I know that you can add – absolute tremendous value to uh to to my tribe and to to my listeners before we start what are some how did you kind of get you know where you are what drove you to do because to me you know success leaves clues and knowing a little bit about your journey on on you know where you came from and and you know kind of where you get your journey where you are uh usually love to hear those stories Sure. I mean, you know, from a young age, you know, and I love, you know, what you teach and what you talk about, because you talk a lot about imagination and and dreaming. And that's kind of where I began. You know, I I grew up in a lower middle class family. Mom didn't have any money and dad wasn't really in the picture. And 
I had to just imagine things, you know, I wanted to be a pro snowboarder and I wanted a skateboard and a dirt bike. And I couldn't just have those things. I couldn't just say, Hey mom, let's go buy a dirt bike or, Hey, I want to snowboard. I had to first visualize it. And I, I, a lot of my upbringing was that it was dreaming, visualizing so deep that, you know, I would draw pictures of me doing it. And then at night I would literally dream about me actually doing that. And, you know, by the, you know, I got trying to remember how old I was, like 15 or so, I was so dead set on being a pro snowboarder because I watched all the VHS tapes of these pro riders and that's all I wanted to do. So that materialized and I did become a pro snowboarder, but it's not like you could just think of it and then all of a sudden it happens. You have to go out there and do what everybody else is unwilling to do. So that's kind of like a lot of how my upbringing was, right? To my first clothing line that I started in mom's basement. And that was just a, a dream. I actually hated my job. I worked at a restaurant. I was degraded so badly that that job led me to the point where I said, I'm done trading hours for dollars. And the only alternative is what, oh, I got to make money somehow to go on these snowboard trips. So started printing shirts with my art teacher, Mr. Mahalski, and selling them in backpacks. And then I'd get friends that would come in and I'd say, hey, I'll give you a shirt if you help me sell these to people in school. And it just one after another. And then on the snowboard journeys, we would stop at the stores, you know, along the way. And I'd map them out on a Back then, we didn't have GPS, just so everybody knows I'm a little older. Uh, we had actually a map and we'd map out all the shops and we'd stop and ask them to sell the clothes. And that materialized. And by 17, I'm like, you know, this whole traveling around with a bag of clothes is cool, but I want my own store. And that became my next big dream. And that dream almost led me to my first like, you know, failure. I don't want to say failure, but you know, where you get to a point and everybody tells you, you can't do something. There's no way that's possible. There's no way that's going to happen. You're a fool. That's a stupid idea. You're going to lose it all, kid. You know, like that movie, uh, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Well, that was, <laughs> that was me. And, uh, I almost gave up. And I remember I needed 70 grand to open Fat Man board shops in uh, 1994. And I, I couldn't find 70 grand. I had no idea how to raise it. Every bank said no, but I, I got one bank that said, hey, if you can collateralize the loan, we'll give you 70 grand. And to me, I didn't even know what the word meant. And they told me, and I'm like, great, I've got a, a 86 uh, Audi 4000. I've got a dirt bike and a baseball card collection. Will that do? And they said, no, we're thinking something a little bit more. And my mom knew that this was like the thing that stood in the way of me chasing my dream and not. And she put her house, the only thing she had in the world, I grew up in a 700 square foot, two bedroom ranch out in Lockport, New York. And she put that house on the line so that I could get that loan and chase that dream. And that's that's where life got interesting because I was becoming a pro snowboarder. Now I had these stores and I had a whole new obligation that was don't fail or, or mom and you, well, mom and me lose the house. You know, I don't have a place to live. So that's a lot of pressure on a 17 year old. And that's where it began. And I'll never forget, you know, everything started going well. And by the early 2000s, I had multiple stores, was highly leveraged. And then the dot-com crash hit and I, I really had to make some decisions. I was either going to deliver pizzas or you know, go do something. And I put my resume out and I got calls from Wall Street firms of all places. And that's kind of where the story begins with money as I landed in Wall Street. It was just like the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas. I mean, that was what I was chasing. That's kind of in my mind what being a stockbroker was, even though it's not. It, that's what I envisioned. And I dove in and at first it was a temporary thing, but it ended up being something I was really good at, something I really enjoyed. 
And I still continued running my stores, but I wasn't working in the store anymore. And I remember it was kind of weird, like a pro snowboarder, because at that time I had gone pro. And now all of a sudden, every day I'm wearing a suit. Kind of like messes with your mind. You actually, <laughs> you actually have to, you know, mindset's everything. You actually have to kind of separate, you know, that whole two sides. Like one side is I'm going to wear my jeans, my hoodie, my beanie. And then the other side is I'm going to go be an advisor. I'm going to put the gray suit on with the black tie and I'm going to do that thing. And that was hard for me, but I was really, really good at the advisory role and I was working on my stores, not in them anymore. So the stores actually started doing a lot better. And that's when I started learning a lot about money and stocks and bonds and everything was like a dream. You know, at that point I was making more money than I'd ever made. And, you know, I was running my stores, doing the pro snowboard thing. And gosh, man, I I remember like from 2004 to 2008, it was just like a fantasy world. And I remember in you know, I flipped a couple houses, 2006 and seven. In 2008, uh, I decided to dive in and I bought a dilapidated paint store to convert it into a, a strip mall where my main fat man store was going to be. And I mean, you know exactly where I'm going because in 2008, many of you <laughs> will remember what happened. Some of you might be too young, but in 2008 was the Great Recession. And that thing hit me like a Mack truck. And I was one payment, yeah. one payment from being bankrupt. And at that point, that was my first like crash. You know, a lot of people realize that. And I remember, you know, I was so beat up, so down in the dumps that I came home to my girlfriend who had just moved into my house. Like, you know, all of us have that girlfriend that moves into the house, right? You show up one day and her bags are there. Or maybe that's just me, but I like to think everybody <laughs> goes through that. And uh, I came home to her and I said, sweetie, I need your help. I need your help paying the mortgage. I need your help paying the utilities. And by the way, my friend Pete's going to move into that bedroom and my friend Jessica is going to move into the bedroom upstairs. Any questions? How'd that go? Yeah. Well, I thought I had a 50-50 shot. One 50% she was going to walk out the door and never come back. And I had a 50% shot that she was going to at least help with some of it. And I think she kind of liked me because she actually did stick around. And, uh, you know, we're now married. We have a 10-month-old, but so you can see where that one went. But that's how I made it through that time. It was It was hard working from 4 a.m. till 10 o'clock at night. I had a a lot of changes, but that was my first crash. And then 2009 to 14, and I'm going to get right to the point of how I learned what I did here. I got into real estate real heavily and I I thought I was doing everything right. I read the books. I, you know, I'd watched some videos and I just dove in and I got up to 36 units. I was so proud of myself. I'm like, oh my God, I got this real estate thing figured out. And, and everybody that's in real estate knows that nine to 14, man, was that a good time to buy because everything was on sale and sometimes on sale 70%. So I amassed 36 units at great prices. But where I made the mistake is I didn't understand how money really worked. And by the 37th unit, the bank said, no more. You don't fit in the little box. We're going to we're not going to give you this next mortgage. And I thought that was it, but that led me to getting a little behind. Then they froze my lines of credit so I couldn't finish units. And then the end of that story in 14 is I had to sell all 36 units and it went quick. I remember I was having a hard time making ends meet. We, Me and my wife, or well, she was my fiance then, but me and Larissa had just bought our dream house. I had the two Audis in the garage. You know, Everybody envisions like you get to that point where you're doing well, but now all of a sudden, everything was crumbling under me again. This is like the third time this has happened in my life. So you could see I'm on this crazy roller coaster, right? I have money and then I, then it's all gone. And then I have money and assets and then it's, then it's all gone again. And this one hit me the hardest because 
I really thought I'd figured it out. I thought I'd made it. And then all of a sudden, just one turn of events, one change, one thing happens. And now all of a sudden I'm right back at the bottom and life is falling apart. I'm selling that dream house. I'm selling the Audi in the garage. I'm selling all my rental properties. And I just felt so defeated. And I had dreamed this life. I had dreamed up this house. I dreamed up that S4 in the garage. Like all these things I had dreamt and imagined them happening. And it just all fell apart. And I'll tell you, the next part is pretty miraculous in what happened. And it was, I got a postcard to go to a three-day seminar to learn how to flip houses. And I didn't want to go. You know, I, I wasn't going to the seminar to learn how to flip houses, but they were giving away a free iPod shuffle. And I was like, I got to have that. So I that's went. That's like a money gun. That's, that's, that's like a money gun. Just like you go to an event and someone shoots you know, <laughs> the money gun at you. You know, it's like, you're just thinking that. So I go there and I was so bored. I'm like, I'm the advisor in this room. And these guys, you know, you know, had an ego. I'm not going to lie. You know, you go through life and, you know, you, you think you make it and you get an ego and it's hard to shed that ego. But two guys got up in front, Mike and Greg, and they start talking about money. And I'm like, I perk right up. I'm like, oh, money. All right. Now we're talking about something I like. And they start talking about money and real estate and what they're doing and how they're using it and how they're being the bank. And I'd never heard the be the bank thing. Like my hat says BYOB. A lot of people are like, oh, bring your own beer. Well, no, it's become your own bank. And that's what they're talking about. And they started saying things that I'm like listening to. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. Oh, no, that, it can't be that way. You, you're doing what? How are you? You know, I start questioning all these things they're saying. And these are the two rock stars. These guys were very successful. One had an A&E show. And all of a sudden, by the end of that event, I mean, I remember they do their call to action. I was the first guy in line, credit card getting maxed out for money that my my Larissa had moved back in. And I thought she was going to kill me. But um, I knew that I had just heard something that was about to change my life. And what they talked about was that one thing that changed my life. And it was so simple. And that's what I liked about it. It was like, all I had to do to do what they were doing is change one thing in my life. And at that moment, 2014, I began that transformation, that change. And that's when everything changed. At that, after that, I started going to masterminds and met, I had mentors and I couldn't afford any of this. I want everybody to be clear. Remember, I had just lost just about everything. So when people think about this, they're like, oh, you must've had all this money. No, folks, I did not. You know what I had? I had a Visa credit card, same one I still have today, and I maxed that sucker out over and over. I just, I, I knew I had to have what these people knew because I knew the answer to why I was riding this roller coaster was lying in the secrets of the wealthy. I knew that these wealthy yeah. individuals knew how to do it, and I didn't, and I needed to bridge that gap. And that's that's very interesting because a lot of people won't or don't spend the money to learn. They don't, and, and the way I look, the way I always look at it is I would rather spend a few thousand dollars and compress, you know, two to 10 years into months, you know, learning what other people, what other, other people know. And then people who don't invest in other programs just aren't going to get very far. Now, now, one of the things you said, I'm going to, I'm going to outdate you a little bit. So, and we actually have kind of parallel back backgrounds a little bit. So I grew up in Colorado and I was a skier, but this was way before snowboarding wasn't really even a thing back then. I and I was days. actually, 
<laughs> and I was actually hawking t-shirts <laughs> that said, give me Rosignol or give me head. Because those were the two big ski brands. <laughs> my, my, at the end of my career, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Head Snowboards was my number one sponsor. So. Really? <laughs> so, you know, and, and I was in like, I don't know, maybe sixth grade hawking, give me Rosignol or give me head. Uh, t-shirt so <laughs> <I love it. laughs> brings brings back brings back some uh, some memories so what um, are you so <sighs> money does not work the way that we think it, it, it truly does not and there there is things that people with money know that people without money don't know there's assumptions there's lies there's you know just the perception of, of what what money really is you know what are some of the things that i don't know about money that i need to know about money it's easy uh we are brought up and it's no one's fault we're brought up in a society in a world where we are literally lied to every single day about what money is how money works and everything else and the biggest mistake all of us make, you know, myself included until I learned what we're about to talk about is we are not in control of our money. We have been taught our entire life to give up control of our best dollars. Like I'm holding a hundred dollar bill. Like we've been taught to take these dollars and give them to somebody else, deposit them in somebody else's bank. And we just think that that's right. We think that's normal. And then when things happen, like my story, we're not in control of the dollars that we need to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves because we've already given up control because somebody somewhere convinced us that we are not capable of being a good steward of our own money. And I'll tell you, I'll break it down to every one of you. Nobody, even a high level financial advisor like I was for 16 years, nobody will ever care more about your money than you do. So oh, why, why do we give up control of our money, the tool, because that's all money is, is a tool. Why do we give it to somebody else? Why do we deposit money in the bank? Ask yourself, why, why do you do that? That's the simplest thing. You know, like, let me ask you, why do you deposit money in the bank? Because that's just what we do. That's what we've been taught. My paycheck goes directly into the bank. Absolutely. I never see it. And it's because yeah, of what you just said, it's because that's what you've been taught to do with your money. And you just don't even think anything of it. And if I were to tell you that the bank makes 400 to 1300% more money than you do on your dollars, like you're like most people, when I say that, no, they don't, they can't, they lend it out at six and I'm making one They're they're only making five. No, they're making 400 to 1300% more than you are because what they're doing is they're moving your money continuously and consistently. I mean, most people, when they take money into the bank, you take this hundred dollars, you give it to the teller. You know, what do you think happens? Do you think when you hand that money to the teller, the teller takes your hundred dollar bill and puts it in a little box in the back with your name on it? Heck no, man. That, the money, th that bank takes your money and lends it out in those little glass cubicles and does make 400 to 1300% more because they're making the margin and they're giving you next to nothing. And we just think that's okay. Folks, that's not okay. It's not okay. And then when you need your money, let's say you got a, a large sum of money or 10,000 or more in the bank and you want it all because you got a great opportunity, go to the bank and try to take all your money out. Try it. Just, just, you know, a lot of people tried doing this back during COVID in March and April and they realized the true fact they wouldn't give you all your money. They're like, nope. oh, we can't give you it all now. And you're just, you know, and most people are just like, oh, that sucks. Okay. Uh, well, can I just come back? Like, how's this work? 
like almost like we're asking permission for the bank to give us our money back. Folks, you're brainwashed. (laughs) You're brainwashed. And listen, like I'm saying this and I get so passionate about this because that was me. I just thought this was okay. And then not only that, like what else do we do? Like if, if any of you listening, like have a job or you have a business that has a retirement account, you get your paycheck. And before you even get it, the money goes into that 401k thing that you've been told by everybody is exactly what you should do to save for that fictitious day called retirement. Oh, when you're going to sail off on your sailboat out into the water. Very few people <laughs> ever do that, just so you know. Statistically, only five out of 100 people are going to be financially secure at the age of retirement. So right there lies the problem. And the problem is our whole lives, what we've been trained to do is to conform to what somebody else tells us our future life should look like. 5%, only five of those 100 created their lifestyle and created their financial futures. And that is where the problem is. You all, including me, have forgot how to create. Yeah, and if we don't create it ourselves, no one is going to create it for us. They're they're definitely not back there trying to create the wealth for us. Now, do you think the stock market, I'd like to get your insight on the stock market. Do you think it's a game? A game? It's a fixed game, yeah, and, and it's going to crash and burn in 2022 and 2023. And that's very controversial. I say that, I, I upset people. You know, like, no, it's not. It's not going to crash. Listen, like, it will crash. And people in two, will in lose 2000, everything. Yeah, and to, to me, it's 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 all a perception of what people think. It has no. There's a lot of it that doesn't have merit on the back end of how things are valued. Or I mean, I lost millions in 2000 when the stock market, when the dot bubble hit, millions just disappeared uh, literally, uh, literally overnight. And so, what do you think about like? Uh, you know, the hedge funds and, and like the, the GameStop thing. And to me, that, that just shows the complete <laughs> when, when a group of people can go and just <laughs> obliterate a hedge fund. To me, I, I kind of giggled when I saw that. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> I, I thought it was great, man. I, I, I wish I could have went out and patted all those retail investors that played that game. And, you know, and di- they didn't beat the hedge funds. A lot of people are like, oh, we won this. No, 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 you didn't. You actually no. lost. But y- you proved a point and you proved a point that the hedge funds are not invincible. You know, they can be beaten in now in today's digital world. If people band together, keyword, if people come together for a unique, you know, a uniform goal and that goal was, hey, we're going to drive GameStop up, then you actually can be triumphant. But the problem is, unfortunately, it's called FOMO. Okay. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. That's one of the most dangerous things. I just did a recording, the 10 biggest mistakes investors make, and that's one of them is FOMO. People think when, when GameStop was going up, now let's look, let's think about GameStop because everybody remembers this. It's pretty recent. When that was going up, like where did people forget that GameStop on its best day, its greatest year was a $20 stock in its best day? And it got to $500 and people thought that was a good thing to buy. It's called FOMO. It's just the same reason when you go to the casino and everybody's winning and you see everybody like winning, you're like, oh my God, I'm missing out. Put it all on black. And then you lose it all. And you're like, well, that was stupid. Like, well, that's GameStop. That was stupid. I see in GameStop, I mean, I'm a professional trader, been doing it 20 years. I understood everything that was happening. I understood the short side, the cover. You know, I understand why they were able to beat that because they pushed it so high that that hedge fund couldn't cover anymore. And they just had to just lay their cards down. But yeah. The thing is, is the retail investors actually lost that battle because they all jumped in at, at the top and some of them didn't get out. And that's 
you know, one of the biggest mistakes. Here's here's the easiest rule. If anyone wants to make money in investing, here's here it is. Golden ticket. This is how you make money and you'll never be wrong. Follow three rules. Rule number one, buy low. Rule number two, sell high. Rule number three, don't lose money. And you know what? The best part about rule number three <laughs> is it happens automatically when you do one and two. So why is it that every single person that invests, unless they're a trader or a professional trader, does the complete opposite? And, and most people are like, no, they don't. Think about it right now. Are people piling money into the stock market? Absolutely. Why is the stock market going up like crazy right now? It's because people are piling money in. They get their stimulus yeah. check. A lot of people are dumping it in the market. Where's the market? All time high. So what are, what are people actually doing and what do people do? They put, they buy high. And then what do they do when the market goes down? Fear sets in and they sell low. And what do yep. they all do? Lose money. They do the exact opposite of what they yeah. should. Oh, and they do everybody. The second it starts going down, people are going to get fear kicks in and they're going to, they're going to sell. They're yeah. going to say, shit, sell it all, sell it all. And here's the thing. The people who know what's going on, they're selling right now, sitting back <laughs> when it goes back down there. They're going to, so I actually did that one year. So I, uh, I think it was in, uh, 2008. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm not going to do this again. I saw it going down. This is when it went way down. I took out a loan on my 401k as much as they would do it when the stock market i think it was like 13 or 14,000 at the time and then i put it in an account and then when when the stock market was down to like 3 or 4,000 i put it all back in i just knew that the cuz when i got burned in uh, in 2000 with all that i i started paying a little more attention to how the stock market i'm i'm no pro by any means but i started paying attention i'm like okay i'm going to try getting ahead of this i pulled all this money out of it and then put it back in when it was low i, I probably all lost it all since then but you know it's <laughs> yeah, but you did the right so, thing. And that's a hard thing to do. How did you feel when you were buying into that market when it was all crashing around you and you're listening to everybody around you losing money in the, every paper and every news channel is, oh, you're losing. It's it's all going to fall apart. And here you are. You're buying because you just knew that you should do this. But what did it feel like to actually buy during that? I was giggling. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to, for once, I might win something. <laughs> <laughs> now, a lot of people, when they actually do what they're supposed to, they actually have fear doing it. They're buying into a market going down and mentally they're so like, it, yeah. it, I don't know what they call it, but when the markets are going up, there's something inside of us that makes us feel warm and fuzzy and, and, and yeah. excited. You know, it's going up, but when it's going down, fear is there and it's hard to want to buy and Oh, I don't know if I should. It's going to go lower. Of course, it's going to go lower. Well, I'm going to buy in when it gets to the bottom. You'll never get the bottom and you'll never nope. get the top. You can't time the market. So the best yeah. thing to do is just when it goes down, you just start buying systematically yeah. and consistently. Just buy, you know, yeah. and it's, it's funny you mentioned about like selling right now. What are the wealthy doing right now like we're so everybody listening to this you know right now we're we just turned into april of 2020 what are we in 2021 covid happened and we all forgot about what year it was but uh <laughs> 2021 and uh the wealthy individuals i know multimillionaires and billionaires are all selling my real estate portfolio that i built up over the last uh six years selling selling it all i just listed another three properties i just sold two I, st I started with 91 about a year and a half ago and i'm down to i'll be under 20. and people must think oh are you crazy like is something wrong like do you need the money no absolutely not matter of fact i don't need the money at all but i do understand the principle of what i just said rule number one is buy low i did that rule number two sell high the market's yep. high 
So I yeah. could hold these, but what? why? To ride the next cycle back down? Why would you do that? And that's the thing like with stocks. Why in the heck would you ever buy a stock and just you know buy it at the top and you feel good? And then all of a sudden you're just like, well, if it goes down, I'll just ride it out. No, you won't. Yeah. 90 plus percent of the people that buy stock or mutual funds or ETFs don't ride it out. They've just conditioned you in your mind to believe that invest for the long haul, you'll be okay. But no one ever does because when yeah. it actually happens, it's a different reality. Fear kicks in, but then reality happens next. And the reality is I lost my job. I don't have any money to pay my mortgage. I can't pay my kids college tuition. And heck, I can barely put food on the table. And I got all this money sitting in my 401k and I was supposed to ride this out because it's like 40% down. I, I don't, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to put food on the table for your family or are you going to worry about your retirement accounts loss? You're going to sell. Of course you are. And you're going to yeah. take major losses, which are then real. And then you're going to pay taxes, folks. Like this is what people do. So why would you do that? Just. Do the opposite of everybody else, and you will probably be way better off. <laughs> and that <laughs> that's in anything in life. If you see a, a herd of people doing something, do the opposite. Don't do what they're doing because you, you will win. Now, I know that you do a lot of stuff in uh, in real estate, and, and I'm part, you know, with COVID, you know, COVID happened. Uh, you see all of these companies. Like you look at downtowns now, like downtown Houston. I'm in Houston. And you see a lot of these high-rise buildings that were businesses that they're now figuring out, hey, we might not need that real estate. We can do a lot of stuff from home. I'm personally, I'm waiting for a boom of conversions where people, real, real estate and investment trusts, REITs come in and they say, okay, we're going to convert these to housing, to living. Are you seeing anything in that in the real estate? I, I just think there's going to be such a big thing in the in the business side, you know, where where companies are not going to need the space that they have that they currently have, and how is that going to be repurposed, and how can we position ourselves to take advantage of possibly some of that real estate uh, that, that I think is going to happen? I, it might not be in a year, might be in in three or four years, but it's going. Technology is getting better. More and more companies are going to go remote. And I think a lot of that real estate is going to be converted to something. I don't, I don't know what, but something. You're absolutely correct. You know, one of the biggest things that this country lacks is affordable housing. And there's a massive need for affordable housing. There's, there's not enough rentals for the amount of people. There's people that will, you know, very soon, I don't know when, when they stop with this moratorium bullshit, excuse my language, but uh, there's going to be a massive like problem with people's mortgages with some you know some companies that own some of these larger facilities they think they, they're not going to be able to stabilize some of these buildings again like you said it might not be a year or two years or down the line uh, it's not going to be immediate but you're going to have a major transition because these big sky rises that used to hold all these people all those people are working from home on channels like this or zoom they're not in those offices. So how yeah. are these companies going to afford to pay all those rents and you know pay all those overheads? They're not. So yeah, I think you're going to see a massive switch that these commercial spaces are going to start converting into living spaces. You're already seeing it in strip malls. You're seeing strip malls be converted yeah. into self-storage facilities. You're seeing old uh, box stores like uh, Kmart's and that being converted into storage facilities. Heck, even Walmart's. Yeah. So you're already seeing it happen because the world's changing. Amazon is obviously needing more warehouse space, and so is every single business in the world because they're all going digital and it's changing time. So how do you capitalize on that? Well, you get ahead of it first, but 
Now would be too early because if you buy now, real estate's way too high. And remember the rules. You got to always go back yeah. to the rules. Buy low, not high. And then what's going to happen, though, is when all this does settle and the government you know, stops with this modern monetary theory nonsense of printing, which they're just trying to drive inflation. If you see the price of things going up, folks, that is just your dollars becoming weaker. It doesn't mean that things are going up in costs. It's your money is becoming weaker because the Fed yeah. is trying to do that. They're trying to create inflation, but the problem is it's not working and it won't work because this thing's going to all blow up and crash and burn. This is the largest experience or experiment in our history with the financial systems. And I yeah. don't think it's going to work. And so do most economists. They don't think it's going to work. So if it doesn't work, what does that mean for you? It's not good. Because if you got all your eggs in the baskets where they want you to put your money, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, that's where they want you to put your money, then you lose it all. But you know what? When, when you lose, somebody else gains. When the Fed increases inflation, who wins? The government. Do you? When, when milk is double the cost, when gas is double the cost, when lumber goes up 40%, oh, sorry, just did. Who loses? Not the government. You do. The government wins yeah. because the, tr the deficit in the money they owe is now cheaper because they can pay it back with weaker dollars. You see, that's the whole game. And yeah. there's only a couple ways to get ahead of this. And you got to just change. So a lot of people are like, oh, it's all over. What am I going to do now? I don't know. I guess I'm just going to try to enjoy my life and hope for the best until this whole thing explodes, as says, you know, says this Chris Nago guy. No, no, there's more hope than you can believe. And it's so simple. You just follow what the wealthy do. Change one thing. And, and that is where your money goes first. And then I'll teach, you know, and that's what we do with BYOB or the money multiplier. We teach people exactly how to do that and how to do the same thing that the banks do, the same thing that the wealthy do with their money. And it's something that's been done for hundreds of years and it will not fail and it will not crash and burn and you will come out on top. And that's the beauty. It's like, I can say that with the utmost certainty because it has to work. Yeah. It always has. Always and it, has. so is that, you know, I know you talk about uh, uh, your impotent banking, uh, you know, that that philosophy of, of what you do, that concept of what you do. Uh, it, that is exactly what, it, it, I mean, that, is that exactly what you're discussing right there? Is that yeah. impotent I mean, banking what concept? I, what I learned in 14 was I sat there talking to, you know, this guy, Mike Baird, about real estate and he was lending me money and he starts talking about this thing, you know, he called it his private bank. And I'm like, ooh, that sounds cool. Tell me more about this private bank thing. I didn't learn that in Wall Street school. And he starts telling me and he's going into it. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Wow, it's guaranteed too. It's tax free. Come on. Like, man, someone's lying to you, but keep going. Keeps going and telling me all this stuff that he's doing. Oh, yeah, I can put money in and take it out immediately. And I still make uninterrupted compound interest on every dollar, even though I took the money in. And I'm just like, dude, what is this thing? And then he tells me <laughs> and I lean in and I'm like, someone's lying to you, man. I'm sorry, Mike, but I'm an advisor and this is not how that thing works. <laughs> and he leans into me and he says, Chris, if it doesn't work that way, then how have I been lending money to you all this time from this? And how has it worked exactly the way I just explained? I sat back. Hmm. You got a point there. So Mike, <laughs> how do I learn this thing? He's like, I can't teach it. I just use it. So call this Brent guy and you know, and that led to me watching a 90 minute video. That was my, my toll, if you will, to be able to talk to this Brent guy. And that 90 minute video is what changed my life. And if anyone wants to know what a privatized bank is, you guys are not probably going to be ready for what I'm going to tell you. But a privatized <laughs> bank is you creating your own bank, but not at a bank at an insurance company. And you do it with a vehicle you all know and probably don't like called whole life insurance. 
Oh, that's right. But it's not the whole life you buy from an insurance professional or an insurance store. It's a very specially designed and engineered whole life design that can, can really the only people that know how to do this are the people that only do this. Your financial advisors, I, I, I'm hard pressed to find a financial advisor that actually understands this. They say they do because they, you know, they were like me. They think they know everything. No disrespect, but believe me, guys, you know, you think you know everything about money. And then when they actually learn about it, like I do, they're like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know it worked that way. I didn't know I could give up my commission so that the client actually has access to 60 to 90% of their money immediately. Yeah. Well, you should have studied what the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, and what every bank in this country has yeah. been doing for hundreds of years. And that's so my is. financial, so my financial advisor that pulls up in a beat up Camry might not know about how to, how money works. I find, <laughs> you know, and I know a lot of advisors and, you know, a lot of them get mad at me because I kind of beat up on them a little bit, but I've earned the right to. And uh, I always tell them, I say, you don't understand this. Well, yeah, I do. I know what whole life is. Again, Exactly. You don't understand how this works. Right. Otherwise, you'd be doing this. But then they don't do it because they don't want to give up their commissions. They don't want to. I mean, let me let me ask you this. Your financial advisor that pulled up in that beat up Camry, like you think he'd be willing to give up 90 percent of his income so that you could have access to 90 percent more money? Absolutely not. You're absolutely correct. And that's the whole name of the game. In order for <laughs> privatized banking to work the way that it works for the banks and the wealthy, somebody's got to give up a lot. And that somebody is the, the money mentor, the advisor, or the, the IBC practitioner that knows how to build this. They have to give up their commission so that you have access to your money. And then that's where the fun begins. So once you get somebody that's actually willing to do that, and, and actually, I got to go back to that Camry because that's funny. In Wall Street, when I was <laughs> when I was an advisor, one of the jokes was, you know, why do people pull up to Wall Street in a Rolls Royce to take advice from somebody that took the subway in? And very true. Uh, most of the clients that I helped and that I dealt with had way, way more money than me. But for some reason, they took advice from me. It was uh, it's a weird dynamic. But like, you guys got to think about that. We should all be taking our advice from the people who have done it who have made it and who are living what we would articulate as the perfect day. And if you're not taking your advice from that person or actually getting guidance on that, then you're doing it wrong and you're learning about the big lie even more. You're doing everything backwards so that somebody else can have control of your money and make money on it. And that's, that's what privatized banking does. It puts you in the driver's seat uh, and in 100% control of your money. And what else it does is it puts a perpetual tailwind behind your money. Think about an airplane, right? Airplanes, when they fly, they're either flying with a tailwind or a headwind. And when you have a tailwind, you're like, oh, well, the pilot comes on and says, oh, we're gonna arrive 30 minutes early. We had a nice tailwind. You're like, that's sweet. The plane didn't have to work any harder, didn't have to fly any faster, nothing had to change, but we got here 30 minutes faster. What you don't realize is that plane was going 150 miles an hour faster than it was the other time when you were on the plane going the other direction. The headwind, is not something that most people think can change, but it can't. And it's it can change with something that Albert Einstein talked about a lot called compound interest. But let's add one word to that, uninterrupted compound interest. Imagine this, I'm just gonna do a visual if I can, because I'm a visual thinker. Imagine I have $100 and let's say I change one thing. This $100 that normally would go into someone else's bank, you actually took this advice and you say, you know, I'm gonna change where this money goes first. So you change and you put this money into this specially designed and engineered whole life. So I got $100 that I just put into it. And, and I'm, don't get caught up in the numbers, folks. It's just an example, like should be more than that. But now I got $100 there. What does the insurance company give me that my bank doesn't? Well, right now in 2021, 
all the, the insurance companies we use, which are mutually owned dividend paying insurance companies, pay a guaranteed 4%. So does your bank pay you 4% on your deposits? Hell no. There you go. That's the right answer. Hell no. <laughs> they don't barely give you 1%. So now I'm better off there. But then the insurance company, because they're mutual, says, hey, every year based on our surplus assets, we're going to give you a dividend. So I'm like, wow, that's cool. Every year? Yeah, it's not guaranteed, but we've paid dividends out for over 100 years and we're going to probably pay dividends for the next 100. So now all of a sudden, I'm not just making four. I might be making six. So now I'm making 6% on my money. That's way better than the bank. But now the reason I put the money in the bank is because I've been lied to and taught that that's the only place I can put money and take it right back out. And, oh God, I got to have my money. How many of you listening to this right now, when you look at your bank account on that piece of paper, you get warm and fuzzy the more there is there. The more money you have in somebody else's bank, the more you're losing the game. Just so you know, but that's what you, you feel warm about that because you like looking at it. You like touching <laughs> it. That means your money's not working. Your money has to be working every day because you only have so many hours in the day. Most people work 40 to 80 hours a week. And after that, you're just shot, right? So yep. if you can't work any more hours, then how can you make more money? Well, I can get a raise. I can do things more efficiently. I can find a better job. I can start a side hustle. But you are always going to be restric restricted by the number of day or hours in the day. You can only make so much. The yeah. problem or the thing that you need to do is you need to stop thinking about how much money you can make by trading hours for dollars. And you need to start thinking about your dollars going to work because most people have equity in their homes, have money sitting in 401ks, have money sitting in the bank accounts. And you know what? I want you to visualize this because this is the way I learned it. You come home after a really hard day. You open the front door of your house. You're exhausted. It's late. You just want to go to bed and you look over into your living room and you catch a glance of your couch. And on your couch is your money. Your money's literally sitting on your couch, laughing, eating potato chips, spilling them all over, drinking your soda, watching TV. And it's been doing this every day for the last week, the last month, the last year. And it looks over at you and it says, what, did you have another hard day? Because that's what you do, folks. You it's let your like money. In-laws. Exactly. It's exactly like in-laws, except for the money actually would, would go to work. Your in-laws won't go to work. You could walk over to your money and you can say, you know what, tomorrow you're going to go to work. You're never going to get a vacation. You're never going to come home. You're never, ever going to stop working until the day you're gone. And your money would be very thankful because finally you gave it a purpose. People just don't know how to make money work. So yeah. let's go back to that one change, that $100. We put it into that bank. Now we know the bank's paying us better interest, guaranteed. We know it's paying us a dividend, but now what about liquidity? You put your money in the bank because you could take it back out. Well, yeah, we have liquidity. In the first couple of years, you might not have 100% access to all the money, but how much do you have? 60 to 90% in the first year. So let's say I put 100 in and I want 90 back. I can go immediately in the first 30 days and take 90 out. So now if that was your regular bank and you started with 100 and you took 90 out, how much money is still earning interest in your regular bank? $10, the remaining amount. In my bank, this privatized bank, which is a specially designed whole life, $100 is still in my account and I'm holding $90. Like literally I've got, and I'm just holding a bunch of money. I'm holding $90 in my hand and $100 is still in the bank earning 4% plus a dividend. How can that possibly happen? Well, this 90 I'm holding in my hand, it's not even my money. See, the insurance companies have all the money and they will gladly lend me money in a loan of $90. So all I do is I go online, I click a button, no application, no credit check. And 36 hours later, the money's in my hand. I'm holding $90. Where did the 90 come from is what people typically ask me. 
Well, it came from the insurance company's general account. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But why would they just give it to you? And why wouldn't they ever want that loan back? Because you told me that I don't have to pay the loan back. Who's making loans and not asking for the money back? Insurance companies. Why? Because all they did is when you took that contract out, they promised two things. They promised to pay you 4% guaranteed. And they promised you a death benefit the day you graduate from this world or this earth or whatever you want to call it. Graduate means die, just so everybody knows. <laughs> so what they do is they take this $90 and they subtract it from my death benefit. It's the same thing to the insurance company. Someday they got to pay that death benefit out. So it doesn't matter if I use it while I'm living or when I'm dead. They're just going to give me this $90 as a loan. They're going to charge me interest on it, but not more interest than what I'm earning on my money. So now I literally have an arbitrage on money and I'm holding $90. So now the most important thing is, is you just learned how to make uninterrupted compound interest on your money, but now you got 90 bucks. So what are we going to do with this 90? Are we going to go put it on black or are we actually going to do something productive and make this $90 that wants to go sit on my couch, but really doesn't? We got to make it work. So where's it going to work? It could work in real estate. It could work. How about even easier? How many people do you know have credit card debt? So let's just assume somebody's got a visa and they're paying, you know, it's, it's just for simple math. The visa is $90. Okay. That's their balance. And they're paying, you know, 10 bucks every single month on that visa, trying to pay that $90 balance off. But visa is charging right. them 20% every single year. That's the headwind. So even though you're trying your hardest to pay this debt down, it just never seems to get paid down. Welcome to the world. Welcome to what you've been taught. Use credit cards. That's the oh game. God. That's the game. <laughs> so now let's change that game. I have $90 in my hand of the insurance company's money that would, it just means that I'm going to get somebody when I die gets $90 less. So I got this money. I'm going to pay Visa off. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the $10 that I used to give the Visa and I'm going to change the name on the check because I'm not going to stop paying the $10 that I used to give right. the visa. Let's be smart about it. Let's be an honest banker. I'm going to change the name on that $10 check and I'm going to write Chris Noggle's bank and I'm going to put that $10 back into my bank. So what just happened? Well, some people are like, well, you took a loan from your private bank, that whole life thing you're talking about. You paid off visa. Then you took the $10 you were given visa and you put it back in your house, in your account. Okay, great. You draw a circle. You just went full circle. But in doing that, I made money twice. I made money once on the 4% plus dividend, okay, that arbitrage. And then I made money twice because I just recycled and recaptured 20% that I used to just give away. Yeah. You see, when I teach people about money, I teach them that the biggest eroder or the biggest problem to most eroder of wealth is not so much the, your ability to make money, you're good at that. It is the simple fact that you give all your money away to somebody else's bank. You do. Visa, Amazon, um, car payments, mortgage yep. payments, all your money goes to somebody else. 90 cents on every dollar goes to somebody else. To build wealth, why don't we start there instead of working harder or taking on more risk? Let's start taking back the money we're giving away to everybody else. If I can make 20% by just paying myself a $10 check instead of Visa, man, that's where I'm st And that's yeah, what I learned, I, man. And that's such easy money to it's, get back. Is that, I mean, people are pushing out hundreds or thousands of dollars per month on interest fees that they're just pissing in the wind. You're never going to see that, never going to get it back, never going to be. Now, so I did something back, I'd say maybe five years ago, and people thought I was stupid. Uh, and they said, you know, you never do that. That's the wrong thing to do. And I'm like, well, and again, I'm no financial person, but I'm like, I would rather borrow from myself than a bank. So if we, we were going to go buy a new car. And I said, well, rather than go get a note and pay them even if it's 2.9% or 3%, 
I'm going to go take a loan out of my 401k, which is already my money. I know it's not going to build the interest. I know that's stupid, but if I'm still going to be paying the money regardless, I would rather be paying myself that 3% interest and it going back into my 401k. I know that's probably the <laughs> stupid thing to do, but I'm like, why would I pay someone else interest when I can pay myself interest? And what you're saying is the exact same thing, but instead of doing it from a 401k, you're doing it from a, you know, from your, from your other source. That is to me, that, that is a, uh, oh, that's <laughs> see, you're teaching stuff that people just don't know. I know people just don't understand that and don't know. But let's talk about that 401k. So yes, am I, I'm using the only difference between what you just described using a loan from your 401k and what I'm doing with this specially designed whole life policy, the private bank, is I'm earning uninterrupted compound interest in the 401k isn't. Because when you take a loan from your 401k, the money actually comes out of the 401k and right. it, it's no longer invested. But the coolest right. thing about what you said, and I teach this as well, you took the money from your 401k that was just sitting there in the market and you're just like, you know, I'm going to... I'm going to be the bank and I'm going to basically finance my car. So you paid for the car. Then you you should have taken and figured out how much the car dealership would have charged you per month to finance that car to you. And let's just say it was 500 a month. You take the $500 a month that you would have given away to somebody else for a car payment and you pay the $500 a month back to your 401k. It's the same thing. But now every penny of that $500 is going back into an account that you own that you yeah. control and that you benefit from. And the coolest thing, people don't take loans from 401ks sometimes. It's like, yeah, but I got to pay interest on that loan. Yes, you do. And that interest goes back into your account. It doesn't yeah. go to the financial company. It doesn't go to your employer. It goes back into your account by law. Yeah, That's a pretty sweet thing. You just gave yourself a guaranteed interest rate. Plus you got yourself a shiny new car on the driveway. Yeah, Love it, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and people thought, and, and all the people like advisors are like, that's stupid. You never pull money. I'm like, but I'm going to pull that 30,000 is gone regardless. I've got the car. So either I'm going to be paying my own interest or I'm going to pay someone else. The money's gone either way. I, you know, so it's. it's and why was <laughs> that good, stupid? Why do you think they would tell you that's stupid? Why? Because, because they're not the, managing it? Uh, because it's less money for them. They, okay, they now exactly. control less money and it, it it's in their financial best interest for me to keep my money there than to pull it out and use it myself. It, to me, you always follow the money. If <laughs> if people are doing something some way, it's because someone's making some money at it and right. they don't want to lose. They don't want to lose that money. Now, I've been to your you know, I've been to your side. I've been uh, looking at a lot of your a lot of your stuff. The best way to get in touch with you is just going to your going to your website and all the people listening. It's going to be in the show notes. So you don't have to write this down, but it's going to be in the show notes to go click. But you've got some great stuff up on your website uh, from your webinars, from your classes, from your real estate. Uh, there is so much free that's the thing free valuable information and you have you have courses and you have you know stuff that i'm actually gonna do this my i've got to learn this stuff because i'm i'm sick of paying paying everybody else and i had the concept i just don't know how to i don't know the means to do it correctly uh but go to chris noggle uh dot com and that is the you know all of your stuff is is up there I give uh, everything away for free, including my book. I mean, you can go to the website and get my book, Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery or the Private Money Guide, totally free. I mean, I'm not going to pay the shipping to your house, but you can have the books for free. And where that came from is, remember those that hard time when I hit in 14, I went to a, my first mastermind out in California with this guy, Greg, and he was like a, just a 
superstar, right? And I, I remember paying all this money to go there and I caught him, I got him aside and I said, Greg, give me the best advice. I'm down on my luck. Like, what is the best advice you can give me? And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Chris, I'm gonna give you the best advice I can give you. And he, and he leans in and he says, give your best stuff away for free. And then he walks away and I'm like, really, dude? I just paid five grand to come to this mastermind and that's the best thing you got for me. I'm like suffering here. I'm, I'm broke. And that's what you tell me. <laughs> Folks, it was the greatest advice somebody could yeah. give me because it, it goes back to the core universal law. If you give, you get. I give it all yep. away for free. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you can't you cannot get without giving. And and here's the, you know, here's another mental thing that people think. They think that, you know, the stuff that I teach and the stuff that I do, it's all out there for free anyways. It's it's I just can put it in a different, maybe a different format, a different way, but it's all out there. So yeah, giving it away for free and it, it, it like money, it goes against what we're taught that, uh, you know, you got to hoard that stuff. You got to keep it like, you know, that's, you know, your information is your goal. That that's your company. You can't do that. But it uh, it does not work that way. It, it does not. So uh, great stuff up there. Great Absolutely. stuff up there. And all the listeners, I'm telling you, you don't know what you don't know. Go to the website, go to chrisnoggle.com, go to the website and look at the free webinars, the free stuff that's up there. Get the book. Uh, you've got two books up there. Uh, it, it, this stuff's free. So why would someone, this is what always gets me. So you've got all this great information up there and people still won't, a lot of general public still won't go do do that. And it just blows my mind. You probably spent years writing your book. You spent, you know, 20 years of, of knowledge going into that book and the stuff that you're teaching. And I can go up there and get that for free. It's just, yep. it blows my mind that people do not take these journeys to learn what other people, people who, who have made it are always willing to share their experience, share their knowledge, to grow other people. So again, thank you so much. Great stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm up there and I think I might bring back the give, give me Raj knowledge, give me head. You should, man. You got to bring that back. And <laughs> if I could just say, because everything you were just saying can be summed up with a quote, and this is, I think, why people don't do things. And it's a quote that Will Rogers said. He said, the biggest problem in America is not what people don't know. The biggest problem in America is what people think they know that just ain't so. Stop taking um, advice from people that hold you down, that hold you back, that don't empower you. Stop taking yeah. advice from your broke-ass brother-in-law and go out there and create your yes. future the way you want it to be. Absolutely. Oh, again, Chris, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time out today to uh, to be on the show and uh, and and give, you know, give give back to, you know, my community and thank you so much uh, and uh, just thank you. That, that's it all I can say. It's great great stuff. Thank you. My uh, honor it was great and talking with you. You as well. 